Yes, it's me, Jamie Lang from Made in Chelsea, and you have stumbled across the Made in Chelsea podcast. Now, I know I'm a pretty charming guy, all right? And people come up to me and go, hey, Jamie, <laughs> how do you do it? And I tell them, be enthusiastic about meeting people. And most importantly, always be ready to smile. So make sure yours are looking the best with Sensodyne. It's designed to help care for sensitive teeth. The MIC Drop is proudly sponsored by Sensodyne. Here for the hashtag sensitive moments on Made in Chelsea. And welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are Devendra Hardware and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do here on this week's podcast, we've got some what we've been watching for you this week, and then we're going to move into an in-depth review. This week, uh, we're going to be reviewing the newest uh, box office phenomenon, Us, the horror film uh, by writer-director Jordan Peele, which I have read is uh, the best-grossing live-action film that's not based on an existing property. Since Avatar. Uh, So huge achievement there uh, that uh, it has bested James Cameron, or not bested, but like uh, gotten really close to James Cameron's Avatar in terms of its box office gross. And that's. uh, I think that says more about the lack of original live action properties in the last 20 years than it says about anything else. I, I mean, I think it says so much about both this movie and Avatar, Jeff, but, you know, we can get into that later. In any case, <laughs> you can find more episodes at SlashFilmCast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, I do want to just read one quick email before we get into the show this week, and that is that uh, Dell from Chicago wrote into SlashFilmCast at gmail.com, uh, who, who was writing about writing about listening to all of our episodes in reverse chronological order, and he says, quote, I've noticed that after 10 years, you guys have tapered off on peppering of your repartee with enchanting anecdotal glimpses into your lives. For example, I greatly appreciated your, Dave Chen's story, about your week-long effort to eat a whole Costco apple pie by yourself, or your rather sublime (laughs) and, dare I say, titillating banana bread escapades. Um, Or the time at the John Hodgman event, you were called on stage and were cajoled into being a stranger's friend who you went on a movie date with. Um, or the time you enlisted a friend to mail your cello across the country, a clever euphemism for drugs, no doubt. Uh, anyway, Dell goes on, but he basically is asking, like, what's up with the uh, lack of anecdotal stuff in the show? And I think we, we'll try to do some more of that in the After Dark when we have time. I, I think the thing is, like, uh, you know, we're all busy people and we got to get through the show and all the stuff that people uh, can reliably tune in to hear us talk about. Um, and so it just feels weird to throw in a bunch of BS about our lives. But it, it does seem that some segment of the audience really appreciates that. Um, but also the John Hodgman thing was just like a few weeks ago, right? We just, yeah. We just did that. I just did that one. That just happened. So it's still yeah. happening, Dell. It's still happening. Um, but I, I think he's also looking for follow-ups in some of these things. So mm. at some point we'll, we'll we'll try to do some follow-ups. But heard it loud and clear. Some people still enjoy these like little After Dark segments, and uh, we'll try to make those happen. So, okay, let's dive into what we've been watching. Now, uh, I want to tell this very brief story about what I've been watching. Um, I used to write for this website called chud.com. And this is where Devendra and I, we we kind of uh, got our our, our love for internet fandom by websites such as chud.com in the early days. Such as chud. It was was not one of the first. I will say that. That came around the time when we were in college. 
And, uh, you know, it was interesting. It was, yeah. 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 And it's like, it was kind of like exposed us to this idea of, hey, there's can people, people can write, like, kind of, uh, uh, my whole life I had seen, you know, Siskel and Ebert, uh, and other people who are film critics for the New York Times and other big newspapers. And th- those people are all extremely talented and I, uh, have been inspired by them, but they didn't remind me of me. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't think they were like, they had the kind of like nerd dumb. They, they shared in the kind of like nerd dumb that I uh, was a part of, right? Um, and uh, a lot of the writers at chud.com reminded me of that, like Nick Nunziata and Russ Fisher, uh, who also went on to work at slashfilm.com later. Um, and there was this guy named Smiling Jack Ruby, or SJR for short, and he would do this thing that I, was fascinating. He would say, like, hey, uh, over the course of uh, last weekend, I watched two movies or three movies, whatever, uh, that w- happened to be the exact same movie. And then he would go on to describe them, and it would be like two vastly different movies. But like you know, he would, he would be describing them, and they would both describe the movie. And it was in many ways an inspiration for my "Boom Goes the Dynamite," which many people have told me is their favorite part of the podcast. You know, um, so uh, in you know, uh, as a tribute to kind of uh, the earlier days of the internet. Uh, I want to tell you guys about two movies I saw this week that were, in fact, the exact same movie. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was two documentaries. One of them was on HBO and the other one was on Netflix. And uh, they were about people who believed they were fighting for a good cause. But, in fact, their whole belief system was based on lies. Uh, and both documentaries involved singular figures in their field who were very charismatic and got a lot of people to follow them. But in the end, those people didn't have the answers. Those singular figures didn't have the answers that people were looking for. Both movies were about self-deception and what drives people to concoct increasingly elaborate fictions about themselves and the world around them. So, gentlemen, I ask you, do you know what two movies I'm talking about? I think I do. This is a tough one. I, I, I think you'll definitely get one of them because I'm pretty sure you've both watched this one. <laughs> right. I think the first is uh, Inventor Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. Indeed. That's correct. Yes. Alex Gibney's new documentary. Yep. And I suspect the other is the uh, the Michael Jackson documentary. Um, uh, no, actually. It is hmm. – the other one I was talking about is called Behind the Curve, uh, and it is a documentary oh, yeah, on Netflix yeah. about flat earthers. Um, or people. Who, I suspect. Yeah. I, I suspect you could apply all the sentences you said though uh, to Michael Jackson. Uh, it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, but I would say that it's more similar to Behind the Curve than it is to Leaving Neverland, which is also Fair uh, a documentary I've seen. Um, but yeah, but so those are two movies I've watched. Um, I'll just start with Behind the Curve because you guys have all watched uh, the the Silicon Valley documentary. Um, but Behind the Curve is about flat earthers and. And for those who don't know what that is, it's people who believe the Earth is flat. And there's actually a clip from this documentary that went viral uh, a couple weeks ago of someone despite doing... it is it, despite the fact that it is extraordinarily easy to prove otherwise. Correct. It's extraordinarily <laughs> easy to prove otherwise. And uh, I'm of two minds about this documentary. On the one hand, I think it's it's a valuable insight into why people believe this, right? And so, if you're looking for insight into why people believe in the flat Earth theory. Then I think it's actually worth checking out. The where I, where I'm of two minds is that uh, I think anytime you put a theory out there like this, like more people are going to be exposed to it and possibly end up believing it. 
uh, regardless of what your intentions are. Like your intention might be, I'm going to show how stupid these people are. Like that might be the, right, the director's right. intention. That that is in fact not the director's intention. But if that was, you know, you know, one could take that approach and still would find that having put this idea out there, that more people would would uh, glom onto it. Right. Than it, before. it turns out the human brain is a really uh, easy thing to hack, as we've learned. Yeah. 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 I mean, you don't true. even really need to hack it. It's just uh, it wants to be stupid. Yeah, the, the insight well, to find patterns in random things like exactly. that's that's us. That's what we've we've had. Natural selection has created a that's a survival uh, quality in our brains. And mm-hmm. we have become perfect machines in finding patterns and uh, ever more perfect uh, as we've evolved. And it uh, it sucks because a lot of stuff isn't really a pattern. So. The the thing the insight I found most valuable from behind the curve is uh, like the explanation of why people believe it is is actually pretty succinct, right? Which is that uh, a lot of it, a lot of people who believe in the flatter theory come from a place of loneliness that they they've never felt like they fit in their whole lives, and then all of a sudden someone comes along and presents this idea that gives meaning to your life, right? That's like, uh-huh. hey. Uh, this is why is because like you are one of the people that understand that the earth is flat and uh, you are an outcast uh, because you feel differently. But the thing you believe is right. And yeah. it, you oh, know what also works that way, by the way, is uh, terrorist recruiters and, uh, you know, the the uh, Gamergate folks, the men's rights activists. It's all the same thing. Sure. I, I would argue yes. this yeah. is a, this is a little more uh, this is a little less harmful than some of those things. Right. Um, I, I cults don't... of any kind, any cult. That's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the central sure. message yeah, 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 of any sure. cult is we understand you. All of the rest of the people don't. Right, yeah. right, right. I, I just I, I I agree that it's the same psychological mechanism. I don't think we should compare flat earthers to terrorists. I think they're they <laughs> uh, they are very misguided and sad, but I don't think they're terrorists. Um, at least not that I see. Like scientific terrorists. Okay, there might be with... a lot of overlap with like flat earthers and anti vaxxers or whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yes. But what I can say is that uh that these people. Yeah, right. Like it. It's very enticing. That this theory allows you to reframe your entire existence, right? Like you can become the hero in your own story. You can become like, hey, everyone is wrong. I'm right. I'm fighting uh, for what's right. And then when people try to prove you wrong, that adds more fuel for that theory, right? So I think the the documentary does a great job of like kind of illuminating that dynamic. And uh, so the movie is behind the curve. Uh, it's available on Netflix. I don't think people should watch it if you have any doubts. About the world being round, <laughs> um, but if you are really firm in that, in that you feel like we are on a, uh, a round spherical object hurtling through space, check out Behind the Curve on Netflix. Okay, this is a new trigger warning, by the way. Are you are you <laughs> yeah. in doubt? Yeah. of scientific accuracy. Yeah, then don't watch. This. Then don't watch this. That's it right. May, I, I don't want Devendra. Like five years from now, we're going to get emails like, "Hey, dude, thanks for recommending that documentary. It really cracked the whole thing wide open for me." Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't want to to do that. So, uh, just want to put that out there. Uh, okay, I Thera- would also say if you if you don't uh, if you don't think the world is round. Don't listen to our show. I'm not interested in having you <laughs> wow. be part of our community. That's hard. But, you know, Jeff, that's one of the things that, that, that goes into this documentary, which is like it yeah. talks Flatter about like ways you can too. win them back, right? And it's not by telling them to go away. Um, so mm. yeah. I recommend you check it out. Like I, I think like, you know, terrorists or, you know, um, uh, white nationalists, they're like a lot harder to win back than the flat earthers. 
Um, but, uh, you know, th- th- all these people, like, are – it is possible to kind of, like, uh, persuade them, uh, many of them anyway. And, and we shouldn't ignore that possibility either. So, uh, okay. So that's uh, Behind the Curve. Uh, Inve- inventor, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. Uh, this is the new Alex Gibney documentary about Elizabeth Holmes. I've been talking for a while. Uh, Devendra, what did you think of this movie? Oh, yeah. I saw it at South by not the premiere, but just kind of hiding in my hotel room, which I guess was kind of appropriate for this movie, because it's this thing is a horror movie of just like (laughs) staring at Elizabeth Holmes and her unblinking eyes and her like, yeah, just so many things about her. Um, It's a I think it's really interesting film. Um, It's a does a good job, I think, of encapsulating the Theranos story. Um, But it's you know, I, I don't I feel like it didn't go deep enough. Um, the book from the Wall Street Journal uh, reporter, like I, that, that is like the thing you want to read if you really want to get the skinny and kind of everything going on with uh, with this company. Uh, but the documentary, I think, is a good primer of everything that goes wrong. I just wish it. I wish they could actually get Elizabeth Holmes on camera, which is basically impossible. Um, I just, I just wish it went a little deeper. It feels like you know, there's a lot to say about the failure of uh, Theranos and like what they're doing. Uh, or what they did and how it reflects on all Silicon Valley. And, you know, I, I don't think this movie quite did that. It probably would have been much longer if they did it. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, almost like, it's almost like that Fire Festival documentary on Hulu did a better job of, of indicting the culture around I, this kind of well, thing. Well, there right? you go. Like, that's yeah. like it's, it's a deeper that was like a deeper academic look of like what started it, what you know, what's going on here. And that's why I kind of preferred that to the Netflix one, too, by the way. I also got to sit down with Alex Gibney for like a, a breakfast roundtable thing and just talk about this movie. And he's a really fascinating guy. Like he's, he's a really fun person to talk to. Uh, but he gave me some really interesting stories, too. Like even though they couldn't get Elizabeth Holmes on camera, she did have like a really super awkward five hour dinner with one of this movie's producers where she was just like basically grilling the producer uh, like a crazy person about what this movie would be about. So I found that hilarious. And uh, yeah, they, uh, he, he tried to get Earl Morris uh, to comment on his footage in the movie too. Uh, Cause he had shot some, uh, some commercials, commercials for them. Yeah. yeah. And he does not look good. He looks really bad. Like in retrospect, uh, although I think at the time, you know, he like everyone thought like, oh, look at this, you know, genius female tech CEO. Uh, this is the story we want to hear. He was like fawning all over her and nobody was asking the deeper questions. And yeah, I, at least it'll tell this movie will tell the story to a lot more people. I just wish it dug a little more. Yeah. I mean, so for those who don't know, Theranos is a was a health company that um, claimed they had invented a way to do blood tests using just a pinprick worth of blood rather than a big needle that they need to uh, insert intravenously into you. Uh-huh. Uh, and the company was valued, I think, at one point at $10 billion with the founder, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, being touted as one of the youngest billionaires ever. Uh, her own net worth was, you know, in the billions as well. Uh, it's all, all all paper money, you know. It wasn't yeah. like she had uh, suitcases full of cash. Suitcases full of cash with this right, much. Right. And meanwhile, um, nobody had seen the technology, right? Like the actual tech that they supposedly had made, it yeah. didn't exist. Yeah. That's my biggest problem with the the whole thing, which really, to me, feels like Firefest three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's of a it's of a theme with the Firefest documentaries, which we talked about at length um, several weeks ago. And I think it speaks to what is clearly uh, an honesty crisis in America. And I think uh, you know it's hard to to have watched both of those Firefest documentaries 
see what's happening in, in the political world these days and see this documentary and not feel like and, and also see news about things like college admissions being bribed to have uh, kids get in. And it's there's just clearly right. an honesty crisis right. in America. And I, I my biggest problem with this documentary is that it doesn't feel like it has any teeth. And I think that uh, I think Davinja's right. It doesn't go deep enough. It, it really it's admirable how much footage they seem to have of behind the mm-hmm. scenes and sort of uh, they cobbled together a lot of uh, um, promotional materials when yeah. Theranos was was kind of cranking and going and lying. They, they did get a source who got them some really cool, like really interesting behind the scenes footage. Right. And a lot of that is like them uh, basically ramping up in the morning, like cheering her on and applauding and everything. Like a lot yeah, of like uh, really all hands weird cultish meetings. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like an all hands meeting you'd have at a, at a job, you know, they sort of get behind the scenes of that, which is, I think that's a cool fly on the wall thing to, to perceive. But ultimately I think that she is much more of a crook than they make her out to be. It is a very sympathetic take mm-hmm. on Elizabeth Holmes, who continues to this day to lie through her teeth about it, the whole situation. And, um, it, you know, it definitely believes what a lot of America believes, which is just deny, 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 uh, impugn the integrity of of your attackers. And fake uh, it till you make it. That's Fake it to me. And, and it, is, yeah. it is a problem. It is a crisis in America and around the world. But I think here more than most, because mm-hmm. we have this Horatio Alger mentality of, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, idolizing right. people like her who are self-made. And uh, there's a cult of personality around it, a cult of, of wealth around it. And uh, I mean, it is it is a it was a con job. It was a straight up con job. And I, movie... I will say though, it's not a modern thing. Like uh, Jeff, you're saying like, this is a, it sounds like you're saying this is more of a modern crisis, but I think this movie did a good job of pointing to Thomas Edison, who is, you know, historically a well, a well-respected person. Uh, I, I think as a person, like you can go back and read a lot of things about like the work he did, his conflicts with like Tesla and a lot of the experience he did uh, were not great, but also his tendency to kind of outright lie with his patent applications and certain certain of his announcements while he continued to like work on things and fix things. And I think that is a really interesting comparison, right? It's just that now we know we, we have, we can know more easily that these people are lying. Uh, whereas before, you know, Essen could kind of do his thing and nobody could really double check on him. Yeah. I mean, I think the movie really tries to get into the pathology of quote unquote, the inventor. And that's why it's called The Inventor, Alfred Blend in Silicon Valley. It's not called Elizabeth Holmes. It's trying to be about what what it is about the inventor that makes people do things like what Elizabeth Holmes did. Um, but I actually think that was the least interesting part of the documentary. Like I, I, So at this point, I have spent, I don't know, 30 hours consuming content about Elizabeth Holmes right? and Theranos. I've read the book, Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have listened to the Dropout, the hit podcast um, about the Theranos thing. And I've also seen The Inventor, Alfred Blood in Silicon Valley, uh, the HBO documentary. I would say th- that w- the latter is probably the um, the one I would recommend last out of those three things. Uh, if you mm-hmm. want a really comprehensive explanation of what happened. I think the book is really, really good and very readable and a quick read and very thrilling and gives it, it, it remains the definitive account of this whole situation, in my opinion. 
Um, yeah. And the docu- the podcast is also really cool because you get to hear the people. The movie's really cool because you get to see the people. But the movie's like two hours long, and it spends a lot of that time doing like slow motion abstract shots of it. You know, you know, like it doesn't. You can't it, like do so much. Yeah, yeah it yeah. just it just is not going to be as in depth as you want. But if you if there's people who are like, hey, if you have friends who are like, hey, I want to learn more about that Elizabeth Holmes thing. And mm-hmm. you're like, well, do you have two hours or do you have like 20 hours? You know, exactly. Um, if, it, if they have two hours, then I'd say just watch this documentary and it does a reasonably good job of explaining what happened. Definitely. Um, I'm glad this exists. And it's also yeah. a really good companion to Gibney's other movies, especially his uh, his Scientology film, Going Clear. And he also did one on Steve Jobs. And I think they all kind of center on the cult of belief. And that's also key here. So it was funny, like when I um, a couple of years ago when the Steve Jobs thing was airing, I had asked him, like, did he see a connection between, like, uh, the Church of Scientology, right, and the cult of Apple? And that made him laugh. So when I saw him again, I was like, hey, you did it again. Um, what What is up, dude? And he's like, I think I just am really obsessed with, like, the idea of belief. And to me, that's fascinating, too. So if you're, just, like, that idea of, like, how people end up following things blindly or how people become fanatics around certain topics, I think that's all fascinating. And this movie kind of gets at that. Yeah, and as you guys have pointed out, it does have a lot of really uh, interesting footage. You know, like footage that impressed me that they got it. Uh, and uh, so I, I think it's decent. You know, this is how I describe it. It's a decent summary of what went down uh, with with Elizabeth Holmes. But I think there are better mm-hmm. sources, specifically uh, Bad Blood, the John Kerry Rue book, yep. and also um, The Dropout, which is a podcast that I think is around – Closer to six hours, and also mm-hmm. uh, very good. Uh, Aren't and, they? And they're doing a dramatized movie about this too, yes, right? There's, there's going to be an Adam McKay film uh, yeah. about it that I, I just I know I'm going to find absolutely <laughs> insufferable. Jennifer of course, Adam Lawrence McKay. is playing her, isn't it? Jennifer yeah, yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, so I, but I'm just like I'm so not looking forward to that because I've kind of like <laughs> I've really not enjoyed Adam McKay's last two films, and I just feel yeah. like. That approach applied to this is just going to drive me nuts, and so I'm, I think I'm not Recount is still his best like political film. Uh, he by didn't the way, make, though, he didn't make Recount. He didn't make Recount. I no, thought he that was uh, Jay Roach. Jay Roach. Oh yeah, Jay Roach. That's what I'm thinking. Of. Um, but the that dinner, that awkward dinner I was talking about, that is such a perfect setting for a dramatized movie about this story. Like it, it's sort of like my dinner. Oh, oh yeah, no, great, I, I think there's except, great. There's so much good yeah. material here. I just. You know, don't want no, the guy that, who directed but, Vice and the Big Short to make it. But what I'm saying, I'm, I'm not even talking about Adam McKay. I'm just saying I would love a My Dinner with Andre type movie about this thing. Like, But the framing is that awkward-ass five-hour dinner uh, that they had for this documentary. Uh, that would be kind of fun. Somebody Maybe just needs do to write different. that play. Write the yeah, play. or uh, like Houseworkin did the Steve Jobs movie, basically. Yeah, yeah. It will answer the, the lifelong question, uh, how long can Jennifer Lawrence go without blinking? Yeah, <laughs> I've been wondering that. She yeah. can do anything. <laughs> That's HBO's The Inventor, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. That's what uh, me and Jeff have been watching this week. Devendra, you have one other thing you want to mention? Yeah, just quickly. I've been watching Flowers, this new British comedy on uh, Netflix. I'm not. It's not a Netflix show, I believe. I think this is just imported um but it's interesting because it stars olivia coleman uh stars julian barrett from uh the mighty boosh uh who i really love and this is just it's a kind of like depressing misanthropic comedy about a crazy family uh, a crazy dysfunctional family they can't quite get along none of them are like normal people but it's really interesting seeing them trying to interact uh with uh, with their neighbors and just each other so if you if you want like a I don't even know what to like tie this to, 
Uh, Netflix recommended this to me as like quirky comedy, but it's definitely dark. It's definitely like it aims for awkward comedy, but I think it does some really fun stuff. Olivia Coleman is sort of trying to be the uh, the bright ray of sunshine in this madhouse, except she's uh, she's she's a little insane herself. Uh, just a lot of funny actors kind of bouncing off of each other. I think that part of it makes it funny. Uh, but give it the first episode. Um, it may be too dark for some people. I'm really enjoying it, though. The name of the show is Flowers. It's on Netflix. That's what yeah. Davindra's been watching this week. Uh, let's get to our review of Us. But before we do that, we got to thank all the people who donated to the podcast. Thanks to Fernando, Maya, Menesis, and Mary Ellen Porto for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. Thanks also to Chad Franks, Justin Meadows, and Kevin in Vermont for their one-time donations. And a big thanks to Brett B., uh, who is donating on behalf of a movie called Quest of the Muscle Nerd, which you can find at questofthemusclenerd.com. Quest of the Muscle Nerd is the true story of one man's dream to host the first ever bodybuilding cosplay competi- competition at Dragon Con in 2017. I actually watched a trailer for this uh, movie at questofthemusclenerd.com, and I found it to be quite entertaining. Um, so yeah, uh, they're doing a little Kickstarter for their film to do to get some finishing funds. And you can check it out at questofthemusclenerd.com. And we thank Brett for his very generous donation to the Slash Filmcast. If you want to support what we're doing here on this podcast, you can always go to slashfilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. You can also go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Uh, all the money you donate does go to help us defraying the cost of putting on the show and bringing it to you. Um, so we are really, really grateful. Thanks so much to all of our donors. Never donate. If it in any way causes you hardship. Uh, but if you want to support us, uh, we'd really appreciate it. And also, if you want to support us for free, just go to our podcast page on whatever platform you're using, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever, and leave a review for us. Uh, that's a free way you can support this show. Uh, we'd be so grateful. All right, let's move on to our review of Jordan Peele's Us. That's a classic right there. What does I got five on it mean? It's about drugs. It's not about drugs. It's a dope song. Don't do drugs. Get in rhythm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Can't believe how big they've got. Do you hear Gabe got a boat? <laughs> He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh, yeah. Where's Jason? Jason? Jason! Where were you? I didn't know if you were lost. Stick with me and I'll keep you safe. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scare a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. That was from the trailer for Jordan Peele's Us. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A family's serenity turns to chaos when a group of doppelgangers begins to terrorize them. This movie is Jordan Peele's second film. And the first film, Get Out, was a legitimate you know, phenomenon, cultural phenomenon. It gave me uh, 
terms and scenes and memes, right? Like you see memes pop up all the time relating to Get Out. Um, oh yeah, imagery. For that is place. that is cultural impact. By yeah, the way. that yes, is cultural. Re- that is cultural relevance, right? How it works. Um, <laughs> the phrase "the sunken place" is a thing that. I use in my life, right, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you can when, just throw it out there. People, you can know throw it out. People will know what it is. Yeah. So that it, it, it is like it is a it is it was a phenomenon. It was really well done. This is a very much anticipated follow up, right? Uh, it is more straight horror film, in my opinion, than than Get Out was. Um, and so, Devendra, I'm curious. I, I think we're all looking forward to this movie. What did you think of it? Oh yeah, I love this movie. I love it completely. And I will say. Um, I, I don't know if I told you guys this. I spent two hours in line at South by Southwest waiting to see this movie. Yeah, that, that was where I it premiered, it. I think, right? It was a... That's where it premiered. Yeah. I did not get it. So you were oh, waiting no. two hours? Oh, yes. geez. Yeah. So I, that, was, that was uh, maybe. Maybe that's what happened. Uh, but yeah, I was waiting two hours in line, and like we were so close, so close to the front of the building. And then they were like, oh, no more. The, the the building's full. They could wow. have told us that hours ago, I think. Uh, but wow. who knows? Who knows what's happening there? Uh, so yeah, I've been eager to see this movie, even more eager, honestly. After I missed out on that like opening night stuff because people were just raving about it at South by. But I actually think it was good to see this movie outside of that room because sometimes that room can get a little hyped up because uh, you are the first audience in the world to see these big movies and you don't know what to expect. Um, so I kind of went into this. Uh, at the press screening here in New York with like better expectations of what to expect there. And I, I, I still loved it. Like th- this is a fantastic follow-up. It is weirder. It is deeper. It is more complex. Like there's just so much going on here and I love get out. And I think get out was, you know, it, it spoke to like some really interesting aspects of uh, America today. Um, this movie, it's astounding. Like it feels like leaps and beyond of where, get out was going because it cuts so deeply i think it even kind of moves on it's not like even specifically around race this is a movie that's deeply trying to tell a story about americans and maybe the original sin of america in certain ways and he tells it in such an interesting way like this is this feels like such a confident filmmaker at this point you you could never tell me that this is his second movie uh, because just the structure of this movie, I think the staging of the actual um, invasion sequences, because for the most part, this the, the middle half of this movie is basically a home invasion thing. Uh, like, it's just so well done. The horror is so well done. But the subtext of it, what it means, who these characters are, and I think ultimately what it's saying about America and our connections to each other, I think is incredibly deep. But that's all stuff we're going to get to in spoilers. I will say, um, this is why I tweeted after seeing this movie, I do not think an award exists that can reward Lupita Nyong'o for what she does in this movie. It is so it is astounding to me. Uh, but go on, guys. Well, I'm curious what Jeff Kanata thinks about this movie. Jeff, uh, what did you think of Jordan Peele's Us? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts about Us are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Hmm, I thought you were going to go with a different kind of... Uh kind of a verse this time, you know, as a, oh, like, really? like a mirror, like a sonnet, yeah. uh, no. haiku, you know, that's what I thought was going to happen, but limerick. Huh? Okay. A fiction that's mind expanding, but also defies understanding. It nails the suspense, but I'm still on the fence because it doesn't quite stick the landing. Ooh, interesting. Jeff Kanata. Interesting. 
Uh, there's a lot to like about this movie. I agree with much of what Devendra said. Uh, it is a dense movie. It is uh, it is a thrilling movie, and the first two acts I think are exquisite. Uh, there are the performances are amazing. You're right about Lupita Nyong'o. She's incredible, also gorgeous in this movie. She mm-hmm. is. Um, Doing some amazing work, and uh, so is oh, what's the male lead? Uh, Winston the, Duke. Winston yeah. Duke, just great, likable, charming, fun, uh, just a super great dad. You wish you had, you know, like. <laughs> and that Jeff Kanata probably is. <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome, and uh, and you know everybody's doing great work in the mm-hmm. in the movie. I loved being around these characters. I thought the uh, the introduction of the horror elements is really well done. It is a harrowing experience. It is really sort of one central horrific moment that plays out over a long period of time in the second act. And it's it's extraordinary. And you're kind of piecing things together. I was in it. I was loving this movie. I was all in it. And I just think it's for me collapses a little bit under the weight of its own ambition in in the end third the 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 final act uh it's a movie that you certainly leave thinking about and wondering about and questioning and i kept saying am i even getting this correctly and i loved reading so many uh interpretations that people have of the ending of the movie as a whole and i I think it's great when you have a movie like that, when you leave the theater and you want to talk about it and dissect it and figure out what it's trying to say. But I don't I think the movie is intentionally opaque and intentionally open ended and open to interpretation and vague, but in ways that I found unsatisfying and um, ultimately confused, not confusing, but confused Mm -hmm. like it, it just I think. There are so many things that he, as a filmmaker, seems uninterested in worrying about that I wish he had worried about. Like, mm. the, you know, things that he's he's OK letting it live in a layer of abstraction and um, the unexplained that is fine. Like, that's a choice he's clearly making. But mm-hmm. but I found ultimately kind of unsatisfying in a way that, it, you know, it just becomes a, a little too ethereal for me at, at the end and, and sort of the ambition of it steals the horror a bit steals the i don't know it, it just it didn't leave me feeling like i've had a complete experience mm-hmm. and uh and and that's a shame because i think so much of the movie is so strong as you said devendra such a confident filmmaker the the suspense beats play out so well and 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 each individual moment is full of great looks and uh, the way things are shot and presented are so gripping and you're constantly, I was constantly leaning into the, to the screen to see what yeah. would be happening next. There's a lot to like with this movie. I don't think it, it holds a candle to get out for my money. Um, but it, it does some interesting things and it, it brings new visual language into the lexicon. It brings new ideas into the lexicon that I think people will be talking about for a long time. And I admire it for that. I just wish it had stuck the landing. I just don't mm-hmm. think it does. Yeah, I, I, mean, I will. I would say, by the way, like he's talked about his influences for this movie, right? And the things he looked at, and he looked at a lot of uh, like second films, a lot of follow-up films, and he brought up Unbreakable, which is fascinating to me. Like as a as a choice for Shyamalan after The Sixth Sense, 
and this movie definitely feels more Shyamalan-esque than Get yeah, Out, even sure. like it is. It is the suspense. I think he just gets down so well, uh, leaving it open-ended, leaving it opaque. It feels like a bold choice today when so much media almost feels um, like it's built to be a puzzle, right? Like they're built mm-hmm. to be solved. I'm thinking of like Westworld or something rather than something that just leaves you all these pieces for you to put together and try to find your own meaning through it. It certainly made me very excited that he is involved with the Twilight Zone reboot because uh, I felt like this movie was an extended Twilight Zone episode in a lot of ways. And uh, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to his fingerprints on that property. So uh, I almost 100% agree with Jeff on this one. I think the first hour and a half, the first two-thirds or whatever, uh, extremely well-done horror filmmaking. And uh, I, I was on board. I actually had the opportunity to see this movie with Peter Serretta at the uh, Hollywood Arclight. And he, Peter Serretta was saying, uh, I felt you shake during or, like, you know, grip the seat or jump, <laughs> jump during, like, super tense scenes right like i'm i'm like gripping my chair i'm the jump scares are really getting me um the movie is beautifully shot he had a 20 million dollar budget this time which is significantly larger than you get out and uh i think he uses that budget really well it crafts really memorable visuals really great ideas as you have put it uh the as you have said like the the performances are really great lupita nyong'o is awesome in this movie and does something that's really really difficult that we haven't seen in, in a really long time uh, and yeah, there's so many things to like about this movie. It's also bursting with ideas. It is a movie that rewards second viewing because mm-hmm. the narrative is fundamentally different the second time you watch the movie than the first time you watch the movie. Um, it's kind of like, as you guys have put it, Shyamalan in that way. Yeah, um, it is sort of like rewatching Unbreakable when, like, you know, kind of all the pieces that are being put in place, and the the movie has a lot of those signs throughout. Yeah. A lot of those signs. Oh, it's a mm. village. It takes a, a village. A lot of things are happening. This. Yes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> There's water. Mm, last airbender. Anyway, so uh, yeah. So 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 many things. Like it's also bursting with ideas, uh, and that's it, it's great, right? I'd rather have a movie that's super ambitious, bursting with ideas, than you know a hack job that's not very interesting to talk about. Yeah. Um, and so like, and, and and also to say it doesn't live up to get out is like saying it doesn't live up to, you know, the sixth sense or something like that. It's like, it's saying it doesn't live up to a masterpiece that was, it, a cultural... it, it just feels fundamentally different yeah, to you. Right. I... That's true. That's true. But, um, but I also think, I mean, I fundamentally think that uh, to be as vague as possible and then we can get to spoilers, but that get out had some real, like, uh, things that might challenge your ability to suspend your disbelief, but was so well executed that like it wasn't really a problem, and that this movie really takes that to the net, really challenges that suspension on another level in a way that I found uh, difficult to get over. So uh, I, I kind of I agree with Jeff basically that this is a movie I really like that I'm actually gonna go see again going to exercise my a-list privileges and, and check it out <laughs> in theaters because it's so thought-provoking because everyone's going to be talking about it um but ultimately i just don't think it's as it's as uh tight as get out i think um brian roan from the film stage podcast put it really well he said that get out is like a uh a finely honed knife right and uh let me see if i can find the, the exact quote here 
Uh, get out was a perfectly honed fillet knife. Us is one of those multi-tools that has so many attachments, you can't easily open half of them and it won't fit into your pocket. I think that's a little extreme in terms of this is a little us. dismissive. But but yeah. but I also like agree with a lot of that sentiment that uh, Get Out was just like ooh like mm-hmm. every second of that uh movie was like so well thought out and like nothing is spared and Us yeah. is much more expansive and ambitious and as a result doesn't feel quite as clean and as uh as satisfying to me. So have you guys ever had a knife that was so sharp you felt afraid to use it? Yes, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about this movie in a way. Like I do feel like yeah, you can you can really like boil down what Get Out is about really easily, right? Like it, it is very much a race allegory, is very much about like liberal racism as well. Um, this movie you can't exactly boil down. And I well, think there's many different it... interpretations, I think. And that's what yeah, that's what's the, yeah but that's what I'm saying. There are many yeah. different interpretations. You can't boil it down to one thing easily. And I think that makes it a little a little more dangerous, I guess, to to even comprehend. So I find that really fascinating. I also want to say before we go to shout, uh, spoilers, shout out to just the entire goddamn cast. I think everybody's doing stellar work in this movie. Elizabeth Moss, who, um, yeah, it's phenomenal. Tim Heidecker. Really? Yeah, doing good work. Good, like good work. That that just I didn't even know he was in the movie. So when his name popped up in the opening, I was like, oh, this is we're getting to some weird places. And I also really liked uh the child actors, like the like the kids in that family. I think they each had their own distinct personalities. And I think they really they they grow really in really interesting ways throughout the film. So just everything about that, I kind of just really dig it. All right, let's get to spoilers for Jordan Peele's Us, starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it, because of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Let's talk about what your primary interpretation of this film was, right? Mm-hmm. If you If you had one. I'll start. I'll start. I'll, I'll say my, what my primary interpretation was. Like when I left the theater, right? The interpretation that's on my mind is this is about uh, the upper class and the lower classes, right? It's about mm-hmm. how society. The haves and the have nots. The haves yeah. and the have nots that it's uh, in some ways a zero sum game. That if you are benefiting, that there's someone underneath who's getting completely screwed over. And of course, the ultimate twist of the movie. Right, the most subversive thing about it is at the end of the movie, and we're in spoilers here. You find out that uh, Adelaide, the character played by Lupita Nyong'o, actually was the uh, underground version of Adelaide, who let's just call Red, like let's call Red is is a way that I've seen her referred to. Right, the the one that the has tethered. the the tethered. Right, the, the, let's just say, but let's say let's be more specific. The one that has the jumpsuit on. Let's call her Red. Right. That Red actually was Adelaide and that they switched places, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think what that is trying to say is, hey, all these people who you think you're better than, you're more refined than, you're more civilized than, you're smarter than, uh, you're actually not. Like these people, given the same opportunities, uh, could thrive just as much as you. There and, but for the grace of God go I, right? That's right. That's right. And I think uh, both Jordan Peele and the, the uh, actor Winston Duke has said like one of the things you want to consider is uh, how what, – what complicity you have, what, how you are complicit in yeah. your privilege in suppressing the power of others. 
uh, and that in fact, like the the true enemy may in fact be us. Uh, it may in fact be you, who you, who you see in the mirror. Uh, that the us in the movie is like referring to not just is is referring to us. Like, look in the mirror; it's you. Think of all the ways that you uh, oppress. Think of all the ways that you suppress. Uh, and that there's something distinctly American about us. And, of course, us also yeah. stands mm-hmm. for U- United US. States. One of the characters says, uh, you know, when asked who she is, she's like, we're Americans, very pointedly. Red says that in their first encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of like the primary interpretation that I, I came away from it with. Um, and so wondering if anyone has any kind of deviations or, or different takes on, on that um Devinger or Jeff any thoughts on that I mean I, I I feel like I'm aligned with that uh quite a bit it also like it, it is just like deeper to consider that idea to that somebody who looks exactly like you right like somebody who could easily just be you um if you're privileged uh perhaps uh there's somebody else out there who is who is suffering in this world and in a way your privilege is almost kind of contributing to that like it's a really complex idea but i think uh you know it's something i think about i live in new york city and i am you know lucky enough to live in new york city and you know be able to support a family here and have an apartment and everything um but we see you know the inequality all around us we live within it and this it's a weird way to live it's a weird way to go about the world trying to you know just get get to work in the morning and you have to maybe walk over a homeless person or something and like trying not to acknowledge that and it's weird because i always want to consider their humanity and i think this movie is entirely about that it is about the humanity of the people who uh in many ways that we are oppressing and i think the idea too that broadly that we are all kind of participating in this i think is it's a, it's a bold idea it's more than just saying sometimes you know the white liberals can be bad it's uh it's more like saying like you know anybody who is really profiting in this current system is contributing in some way to something that's going wrong and yeah we we were talking about thomas edison we were talking about uh, theranos and it's like this is all interrelated this is america basically like this it's fighting for the top and not caring about who you leave behind and that's essentially what uh young red does to cross over and never considering like uh, what she did to that other girl. I'm still deeply thinking about this movie, but that whole idea of just like us coming to terms with how much people are suffering at our expense, I think is really deep and truly fascinating. Uh, but interesting to hear Jeff, if you have any other thoughts on this. Well, certainly um, it's interesting to, you know, note that uh, the, what this does structurally as a horror movie subverting asking the question who is the villain at the end uh i i find really fascinating and really interesting because uh you have a classic horror uh scary monster or several of them in this case but a, a scary monster trope that is uh you know um other and frightening and and sort of um um inhuman right and at the end we are i think compelled to think of them as even more human than maybe our main characters which is is pretty fascinating thing to do i I think your both of what you guys have said uh, uh, you know both of your interpretations is uh 
very much in line with what I was thinking. But I also had a very difficult time not seeing a political interpretation. Mm-hmm. Red, red as a color is certainly a politically charged color. Uh, there's a lot of wall imagery, uh, people holding hands to create yep. a wall across America. Um, do you guys remember that whole thing, by the way? Because I oh, don't I have do. much of a conscious memory of it, but I remember reading about it and thinking it was the, the most insane thing I'd ever heard of. And it, it seemed like a complete waste of money to really affect nothing. But what what do you remember, Jeff? Well, I'm a little older than you guys, and, and I do have a, a very clear memory of of that being a thing. I was young enough to think it just – you just think of the sort of magical concept of everyone holding hands across an – unimaginable distance and it just as a kid i w- i just thought it was a a magical idea yeah, i thought that feels was a, good yeah right, right. That's, yeah. You, that's how you do solve things uh, i i think i read something about how uh ultimately they the cost of doing it really made the, the money <laughs> they raised by, by it kind of negligible yeah. but um i mean uh, that uh, that's part of the stuff that sort of gets thrown in at the end that feels a little messier than I would like. Uh, there's a lot of of stuff going on. You know, there's bodies strewn everywhere. We don't get a real sense of of what the situation is in the world. And yet the last shot is this wall across America of red um, and helicopters hovering above it. I mean, it is an undeniably political thing here in 2019. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think there is a, a political interpretation of people who feel like they don't have a voice that they have lived, uh, underneath those, uh, who do have voices and who are relatively prosperous, uh, sort of, uh, emerging and claiming ownership, uh, on America and, and forcing the issues that, they feel are important to be center stage and doing it in a destructive way. I mean, I think that all of that stuff is a, is certainly in the movie. Um, and so there are lots of ways to look at, I mean, there's a great piece on the, on slash film.com. Um, I'm not remembering who are the two writers, but it's a great Jacob Hall and Ben Pearson, uh, wrote a piece called us movie explained, exploring the biggest questions and craziest twists in Jordan Peele's us. That's a, it's a great article. And I urge everybody listening to, to read it. If you've seen us, um, and you know, there's some things in that, that I noticed that, uh, they give context to that, that I think is pretty interesting. Like the fact that the entrance to the underground, uh, tubes, uh, tunnel system is an escalator going down, but there's no escalator mm-hmm. going up. Uh, yep. you know, all of those, th- those are, I think, overtly political notions that, you know, it's easy to, to go down into the in, in, lower in society. It's harder to climb your way out up. Um, the thing I thought that was most wild in this was the, in this piece by uh, Ben and Jacob was Ben's, supposition that the tethered represented the modern republican party mm-hmm. um, oh yeah which yeah. i thought was like you know I, I, that i that never would have occurred to me and i don't think i agree with that interpretation but it is completely a valid interpretation he's like he says here quote they're cloaked in red they're a united front during a time when democrats are quibbling among themselves and they feel wronged and angry 
Um, when asked who they are, Red answers, we are Americans. The Tethered have been there all along, and they look just like we do. During that big Bond-style exposition dump, Red says that the scientists who created the Tethered forgot about us, reflecting the fears of white rural Republican voters in coal country. There's a huge visual cue in the film that lends the, mo- the most support to this read, uh, but he'll get to that later in peace. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. end quote, you know, that's a, a, a solid reading of the film. Not my personal interpretation, but definitely um, a plausible. Read. There's definitely enough signs in there to, to like at least see where they're coming from there. I, I've definitely been reading other pieces. There were assuming the son of the family was also uh, an escaped tether. And, you know, theories are getting wild and we're throwing a lot of stuff out there. But I, I personally don't agree with that. So I, I also want to talk about the last 20, 30 minutes of this movie. Well, actually, before we even get to that, let's talk about Hands Across mm-hmm. America. I mean, uh, Jeff, to your point about the movie having teeth, I think the message about Hands Across America is very muddled, right? I think mm-hmm. it's not at all clear to me what it's trying to say about Hands Across America. Because one extremely common reading of Hands Across America uh, that Jordan Peele himself has advocated, right, is that it was kind of an empty gesture. Right, it's a thing like, oh, we right. can all let's all do this thing. Mm-hmm. We can all feel good about ourselves. We raised like a tiny bit of money for for homelessness, and now we've solved the problem. Except, obviously, decades later, um, the problem remains decisively unsolved, uh, decidedly unsolved, I should say. Mm-hmm. And but that, um, that does reflect on the movie too. So, but the thing is, like, here's where I disagree with that: is mm-hmm. that I think these people have like risen above ground. They've murdered all their tethered people, right? The rules of which aren't ex- exactly quite clear. Like, can they only murder the people they're tethered to? But then later on, you kind of see people murdering indiscriminately a little bit. Um, and then they join hands. And uh, theoretically, it is a commentary on the uselessness of these gestures, right? Like, you could mm-hmm. easily interpret it to mean, hey, uh, these people are still completely fucked, um, but, and like, look, they're doing the Hands Across America thing, which was also another useless thing. Uh, and I just don't agree with that because I feel like in what these people have done, exposed mm-hmm. this whole underground system of tethered, murdered all these other people above ground, they have fundamentally altered our understanding of the world. And they certainly I, aren't altered something, but like that. I don't. Let me just finish. Let me just finish, and then you can say, yeah. you know, like I don't think they have done a meaningless gesture. I think that like whatever happens next, a lot of people have been asking, like, what happens next. Uh, whatever happens next, it's going to be different. It's going to create some kind of change than what it's going to change the fundamental state of what what there was before. And so the idea that hand, that the movie's trying to say hands across America is an empty gesture, it just doesn't um, scan for me because I think that the way that they have appropriate maybe the way that they've appropriated hands across America means like oh now it's more powerful than it was before, but it just feels very muddled to me. Okay, so, uh, now you can go to Vindra. Uh, I mean, if you're assuming you're assuming the movie is just taking that one idea of Hands Across America and trying to to apply that to the the tethered here. And I think it's more you combine a lot of the sources. Right. Uh, If you're looking at them as a reflection of the modern conservative party uh, building a giant red wall that probably won't do much of anything. Certainly the act of getting up there and showing us that they exist, that's certainly going to change the world. But I think at the end of the day, like they don't they're not doing anything to break down the system that created them and imprisoned them in the first place. And I think that is where you know the exposition dump was really interesting because it's uh it just kind of laid that out there like, oh, yeah, scientists created us. The, the government created them, basically, and then just forgot about them. And really, the the enemy, the real enemy is like the system that created this whole, you know, th- this whole like underclass. Uh, going around and killing everybody isn't really going to affect much change because 
there there's not much else for them after I, this. So. I, I think that system of oppression is so poorly and clunkily explained I agree. that it is impossible to come to the conclusion that you just did. You know, like well, for, yeah, it's as not, I was watching the... the movie, as I was watching the movie, I was like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. they're gonna want to know how the rules work for this whole thing. It's like it, I get it. I, get, I totally get it. Like, it's not explained. Right, it right. Is, it is a broad abstract gesture. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. And, and and I I did not enjoy the, as uh, as that article points out, uh, you know, the Bond, uh, Bond villain. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it's, a, it's a clumsy way to accomplish that. I don't know if, if Peel had a specific concept in mind of, of maybe that. You get at that, too. Like, it's a, it's a, in a movie like this, you kind of have to lay it out at one point, but it's not. I guess. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't. I didn't think that was the most elegant way to do that. And I mean, there's, there's some notion that there's the, we are tethered to these creatures and there is a sort of puppeteering causal relationship uh, at, at certain points, you know, characters control others. And yet that idea is really unclear yeah. and not followed through with, and I don't understand it. And, like in the tra- in the trailer, right? Like, which by the way, I did not watch until I saw the film, and I'm glad I didn't. Um, but I did listen to it because I would be in the theater, and the trailer would play, and I'd close my eyes and I'd hear it. And in the trailer, um, Lupita Nyong'o says, you know, the line, uh, "They look like us. They think like us." You know, and like, and oh man, I was really hoping that there'd be something that the movie would make creative use of that idea. Mm-hmm. And I don't really feel like it did. There's some, like, okay, uh, I, the girl's really fast at running and then like her tether runs. And later on, right. The, like the, the boy's really similar. Like, um, he's, uh, really into fire. And then like his tethered version is like really into fire. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, but I thought there would be like some, like, um, you know, plot mechanic where like they use the fact that like, oh, I would think like this, but like maybe I should, do, you know, like that, that that would like pay off in some way, and it never did. And so I, I, that was a bit of. A I mean, I could I could see expecting that. It almost feels like that's what I expect from a lesser movie, basically. You know, like it is that that's what you want as an audience. You want that sort of like Chekhov's gun to go off and for everything to get kind of get tidied up and all the rules to kind of click into place. And yeah, the movie doesn't quite work like that. I think what's really interesting in that exposition dump, uh, Red is saying basically like they were able to, you know, uh, copy our bodies, but they couldn't copy our souls. And there's this also this whole idea then that does that mean the people above are are now like in a way less like less human because half of their souls is now are now spread across to the people tethered and that we really can't be whole as a country until we find a way to reconcile both the privileged and, you know, the unprivileged. I think that's really, that's kind of what I was getting out of a lot of these things, even if the mechanics aren't uh, directly, you know, all explained. Um, I I think fundamentally mm -hmm. here's where our disagreement is, Devendra, is that um, it is a fine balance to strike of how much you explain about how it works. Right. And sometimes you can go too far and sometimes you can go too little. And I just fundamentally don't feel like this movie struck the correct balance. Right. I I get that. And uh, that's that's pretty much what I was expecting. And I also kind of I also kind of feel like if the movie wanted to work on a level of abstraction that wasn't didn't didn't raise my expectation to have an explanation. Yeah, Yeah. Then it wouldn't start with. There are hundreds of miles of tunnels underneath, you know, all, it wouldn't try to create this weird 
like scientific plausibility Exa- that, to that's everything. Exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's like it's like it goes too far. Like imagine if there was none of that. Like I I, I imagine like an alternate version of this. Where like it was just one family and it wasn't all across America and like it's much smaller contained story and they never explain how the other thing how the other family came to be and it's like I I wonder if that might be more satisfying just because instead of thinking about the big ideas Devendra I'm thinking like mm-hmm. the, the explanations they throw out I'm thinking about how did they all get perfectly tailored jumpsuits how did they get that those would gloves be, you that know, all match? certainly certainly that would be more get out though that is like a localized way. Of like, oh, this is all taking place with just a few characters in this one, you know, house or something. We're not speaking to the broader aspects of what this means for the rest of America or something. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. The movie would be neater and simpler if they did that. I, the way I love horror, guys. The way I love the Twilight Zone. I love just like the hint at something greater. And to start the movie with just that quote, it just doesn't it get your mind moving. Doesn't well, it that's get your problem. brain? That, that, yeah, that's the problem. Is is, is it is not just a hint. It is not just a hint. It is a a huge heaping slab. I'm saying, guys, <laughs> enjoy where your mind. Like for me, it was like, oh, that's that's interesting to me. I'm gonna enjoy where my mind is wandering now as I'm seeing the rest of this movie, and as they lay out like you know how this entire underclass system kind of works out. I agree. They don't explain a lot. Um, I don't. For me, they kind of don't need to. But that's kind of how. Especially movies like this. Like if we were talking about Suspiria or something, it would be kind of the same way. Like we're working on a level of extraction, uh, almost like magic and divine intervention at times, too. Like it seems like in a weird way, God exists in this world. Yeah, I, I don't know I just, what you guys think if, about I just that. disagree with it, it, everything you're saying. Like, it's it, I, I am details, totally... Well, you can't disagree because this is this is just opinion. <laughs> if part. the details aren't opinion. important, if the details aren't important, don't introduce the details. Yes, exactly. That's, again, yes. okay. Yeah. It's, I understand. It's not, we, we are, hey, guys, guys, I'm saying I understand that doesn't work for you, but this is the reading I am getting out of it. And certainly I think that's what I'm seeing from a lot of other viewers, too. But I get it. I get that that's not enough for every viewer. No, that's no, no. I, I, but I think the reason I'm reacting the way I am, Devinger, is because I think you are mischaracterizing what I'm saying, right? Is that it's not that Jeff and I – and I'm going to speak for you, Jeff. It's not that Jeff and I are against abstraction. If If the movie – like – Jason Voorhees, like, why does that guy come back to life? No one gives a shit, right? Like, the movie doesn't explain that. It doesn't care to explain that, right? Like, there's no, there's no explanation needed. Like, we're, it's, it's totally fine. But the movie tries to explain partway, and that's the problem. Is like, it doesn't fully go all the way and offer a satisfying explanation, nor does it, uh, you know, stay in the abstract, you don't need to think too much about it zone. It lands somewhere like in the for, uncomfortable middle. It's not middle. really either or. I understand that it's going too far for you guys and giving you a little too much of a hint, but I, I'm saying it can work on both levels. For me, it definitely worked on those levels. And there's room for him to certainly explore more. I think uh, Matt Patches, uh, in his interview with Jordan Peele, uh, you know, talked, raised the idea of a sequel. And Jordan Peele has this whole mythology in mind and places he could go in a follow-up. So it's like, I think he has a sense of how this all works. It's not all presented in this movie. I'd really be interested to see him kind of follow this up because maybe it would answer some of these questions we all have. I think to the film's credit, right, it does do a lot of things really, really well. And and a lot of the, yes. the horror stuff is super well executed. And I, I think that's why a lot of people forgive some of the, the clunkier elements at the end is that because everything else is so well executed, it's like, 
uh, it's like, hey, all this amount of information conveyed is like whatever. It's it's it doesn't need to be the right mix because everything else is so good and because the ideas uh-huh. are so good. And, and but I let me have... ask you guys this. Yeah, I brought up the idea that I think I think the divine kind of exists in this world. And Dave, you're saying you fundamentally disagree, but you didn't get any said those any I, of that. I, sense? I think the film doesn't respect my intelligence enough for me to even think about it that much. Like I don't, I, I don't. I, I think like I, I think that there is not okay. enough there. For me to yeah. even like spend time, uh, I mean, I, th- th- to be fair, I've they, read they... like I've read like fifteen articles about this piece, like this movie. So I'm like, it's not that I don't think there is um, uh, that the movie is not worth our attention. And like I said, I'm gonna go see it again. Yeah, but um, yeah, you're saying this idea isn't worth your attention. I'm just saying the the movie makes a point of of making it clear like coincidences start happening, like as these tethers start coming closer. And I'm really wondering, like, in the broader sense, like in the mythology of this universe, what does that really mean? Like, what are they really getting at there? Because that's something the movie didn't really tap into at all towards the end. There's like a... when the when the frisbee kind of just landed directly on the circle, and there were other couple coincidences happening. Uh, even the, I think even the Bible line that they that uh, the homeless guy was holding up, you know, is directly related to everything that's happening here. So. I'm really like for me, like uh, what excites me, guys, is not that not you know everything isn't fully explained, but that there is a potential for something grander here. And yeah, I like my mind to kind of exist in that space where I can kind of, you know, uh, follow it along and assume, you know, certain things rather than, you know, uh, yeah, I guess be frustrated with what I don't get. That's what I'm saying. The line uh, in the Bible is uh, Jeremiah eleven eleven, uh, King James Version. Therefore, thus saith the Lord: Behold, I will bring upon uh, bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Uh, and what is interesting about the Jeremiah reference is it is uh, Jeremiah in the Bible is a prophet that had trouble speaking, um, and in fact asked to a- asked to not to be a chosen prophet of God. Uh, and I think that, you know, the, the act of speaking and how you speak and how you sound is clearly a big, uh, theme of this film. And, uh, so I think that's, that's relevant, but I, I think, um, you know, uh, Devendra, I think where our conflict is, is just, and I've, I've tried to articulate a couple different ways is just that, yeah, um, it, the way you're framing it is like as though we don't like mystery or we don't like, uh, we need everything I'm explained. Saying, I'm fully saying you guys like what you like. I get it. I get it. It's totally fine. I'm just trying to lay out my point. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I completely, I, I think, yeah. is completely valid, and it's just you know, it's yeah. um. And we, by the way, speaking of voices, we have not even talked about Red's creepy ass voice, which I think is one of one of those things that we're going to remember. It is like the teacup in Get Out. Like that is one of those things we can reference so easily. Like it's going to have such a deep impact and like such a strange thing. Like such a thing that it feels inherently creepy. And almost kind of new in the horror genre, even though we've seen like characters like this before. I think it's a, it was it felt completely unique to me. It almost definitely didn't work. It. it almost didn't work for me because it it's almost silly, but it's she does it with such commitment. Uh, it is so good in that it opening so scene good. that it's just I'm just like I I admire it because and then you um, the ability to recontextualize it at yep, the end yep. is so wonderful. It it came from a, it works it works just as a creepy scary uh horror movie voice and then it works again as someone who was strangled in as a child and had one assumes their larynx damaged yeah 
Yeah, um, and I, but I also loved that moment at the end when uh, Adelaide is like choking out Red at, at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Adelaide, who like you find out was like you know was born underground, right? And she kind of like makes the same guttural noises. You know what I mean? I don't know yeah. if you guys caught that, but like she makes these kind of like clicking like guttural noises that like are similar to how Red talks. Oh yeah. And I just oh my, I was like, this is amazing. Like if if, if this movie is going where I think it's going. Uh, it's amazing, and yeah. uh, and it, it did in fact go there, and and I think that that scene is, is really impactful, and so much of the imagery is iconic. You know, um, P- I was talking to Peter Shredder about this, and he was saying like, there's so many, there's like a dozen, several dozen images from this movie that I can already imagine what the Mondo posters are going to look like. Right? Oh, and, yeah, I've already uh, seen some. Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and cool uh, cool Halloween costumes, ready-made. You right, can be, ready-made uh, Halloween your, costumes. I your mean, own us, you know, yourself. I'm not looking forward to this Halloween because it's just going to be waves of people dressed like them. But yeah, yeah there's, there's just like, uh, he, he knows how to put together uh, a really compelling image, Jordan Peele does. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He knows how to use music really well. You got a nice juxtaposition of um, uh, Fuck the Police. And what was the other song? Um, was it Beach Boys, right? I think. Yeah, Beach Boys. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just like, it's such what a genius it? move to like juxtapose those two things in the context that he does. Um, although I do think that like, Red's mistake was trying to fuck with the family for twenty minutes, as opposed to just straight up murdering <laughs> them, like the uh, the white tethered. Listen, you got to savor your revenge <laughs> when you waited twenty years or something for it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I also have to say, like, um, so you guys didn't watch the trailers, but the thing that was really propelling this movie too, I think the trailers are expertly done. Uh, there are certainly some shots that the trailers give away yeah. uh, that are towards the end of the movie. At the at the same time, though, like I love the vibe of the trailer and what it's selling. It's really selling the imagery, and also I got five on it as like a big that that, that trailer brought that song back into our consciousness. And uh, the trailers also have like the chilling like orchestral version of it, uh, but that's used in the final dance slash fight sequence. And it's just so perfect. Yeah, I, I love I, I well, amazing just... remix of I've Got Five on it in the trailer. Yeah. And I also love that it was in the movie and that they used it pretty well. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, that's a great moment in the movie. Yeah. But I, I, I want to say, you know, whatever, but I knew nothing about this movie. Oh, yeah. And, and the moment where the family is outside in the dark, yeah. I did not know was the same actors. Mm. <laughs> and the, wow. the, discover, the discovery of that was I- incredible like that moment I, I for me think it, after a point jeff um <laughs> you have to know the premise of the that's movie, actually impressive get, get, that's get, actually impressive it. that you avoided that's the premise impressive. jeff yeah that's yeah impressive. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's what i do guys that's my jam I, I know it's just like it is astounding that's just sometimes. more work than even i am willing to put into it and i'm willing to put in a ton of work into it so was there a point in this movie by the way where you guys thought that uh that lutipedia nyongo's character was actually her tethered version. I, I think it, it is. It is. Yeah, I think I think the movie heavily hints at it. Right when they, it's like, hey, our little girl. I just want our little girl back, and she won't talk. And you know, yeah. Uh, and the, yeah. there's like edits to what, ha- and you never see what happens at the end of that encounter at the beginning. So I, I you know, I I, rec- I recognize that that was a possibility pretty early on, but I don't think like I'm a genius, you know, because I think the movie really hinted at it. Um, it, it was like. Um, I remember hearing Christopher McQuarrie do interviews about Mission Impossible Fallout and people being like, oh, yeah, I knew that uh, Henry Cavill was a bad guy early on. It's like, yeah, you dummy, because I, like, told you early on. You know, like, 
that yeah. I'm, I'm always very oh, careful so about he's that. He's wearing evil bad guy mustache. Come on. <laughs> we get it. We know. Yeah, exactly. Um, precisely. Precisely. So I think the movie heavily hints at it, and I, that was, I assumed that that could be mm-hmm. a big reveal pretty early in the film. How about you, Devendra? But there are also those sequences where um, she, like, I think that first moment where she leaves the car after they attack uh, the, the tethered girl and, like, knock her through the trees or something. And that felt like a wild thing for me it's like oh why is she getting out of the car yeah why is she getting out of the car why is she like why is there this tender moment between her yeah all your bad horror movie mistakes here and yeah that moment was really interesting and then i think that was like one of the first big hints too but also the idea that yeah we didn't see the end of that cut of the attack sequence from the beginning of the movie so whenever you don't see a cut it's definitely going to reveal something well the the Uh, moment when she sees the the girl she's like this this could be and in some ways is this could have been and in many ways is my daughter right yes that's, that's dead yes. that's dead that in this and tree and the son at the same time too like him just walking into the fire right too. and her and, yeah her expression there the same thing yeah exactly um some other questions that have come up like why um why rabbits um and like what, what's the deal with rabbits one one of the i don't know that there's any explanation for that beyond that they are an easily sustainable food source and that they reproduce yes. very easily, right? So they don't um, require much to feed. And they're, yeah, they're yeah. traditional test subjects. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's right. Uh, also, the idea of uh, this white rabbit being the opening, cre- the the shot that the opening credits focus on, and like white rabbit being Alice in Wonderland, and this girl goes uh, down literally through a looking glass, right, and right. like down a huge, you know rabbit hole and finds this like other world there you know so that's and also um i think jordan peel uh, i'm not sure if it was jordan or someone else but suggested that like rabbit ears kind of resemble the scissors of the uh the -hmm. great untethering that they're trying to do um so that's another kind of explanation there the the dance sequence i think the idea is that like at that point right uh they've already the girls have switched places and um the uh, red from under young red from underground who becomes adelaide grown up uh has uh is like encouraged to like participate in arts and hoping that that will like unlock her uh her true potential and that that the two of them doing the dance together that that somehow uh makes the people the tethered realize like, oh this is something different right this is someone who can like lead us out of this misery this is someone who has full awareness and there's this idea in there that like art can be transformative Right, that art can lift people out of misery and uh, and make them realize, you know, the world beyond them. That I think is uh, mm-hmm. is interesting as well. So, uh, just a few other kind of like notes I wanted to touch on. Yeah. Uh, before I, we wrap it's up the final here. thing. What did you guys think of the moment where, basically, the final shot of the movie? Right, the son recognizing that his mother is a tethered. What did you make of that? I had the same question for you guys. I I think that it is. Uh, it could easily be interpreted as. Uh, a, a happy ending or a, you know, Twilight Zone-esque, yeah. uh, the bad guy won um, ending. And I, I think it is intentionally vague. I mean, her expression is so interesting because it's not quite a smile and yep. it's not quite yep. a smirk and it's not quite – it's just like this – It's like I know you know and now yeah. we both know. And yeah. that's our secret now. Yeah. yeah but, I mean I think one of the most interesting things about the movie is how it plays with your – your sympathy and who you're rooting for, right? Because when you see the the flashback and the Bond style, the Bond villain esque info dump, and it's like you feel for this girl who had her life ripped away from her when she was yeah. a child. But then it's like, well, should you feel that way? Because like, really, you know, 
you should be feeling sympathy for the person who never even had a chance at their life to begin with, right? And like, and it makes me like question my own uh mm-hmm. sympathies and where my sympathies lie and like why do i feel that way you know um evaluate my own biases you know that kind of thing and uh and so i hope you know davindra even though uh i had a lot of issues with the plot and i feel like get out was the per- that that is a movie that i feel like had the perfect amount of explanation for what was going on right like i i wasn't i yeah. at because, no because point, it didn't explore the broader world and once you do that then I think a lot of that right, like falls apart it, is the yeah. you know get out like knights of the whatever the Masonic League whatever uh, is does that function beyond this small town right and if exactly. it was like if it's all across America then like how does that even work how does Minority Report how do they expand the Minority Report worldwide <laughs> do they make like more precogs using that fluid like you know like it just once you like try to do nationwide something. It makes it really difficult to have it make sense. I don't um, think that's the only problem, though. I mean, there are there are other micro problems. Sure, that, sure, that, yeah. That like how did like the, how did they get all those jumpsuits and all little things like that? But, well, are they you know are they connected in some causal way? Right, 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 right. How does she said she had to get married and had to have kids because her mm-hmm. tether did? Like, how does that work? Right, like, what, right. You know what what is all of that? Yeah, I, I agree. There's just a lot of questions unanswered. But Davinger, the point I was making was, despite our disagreements about how satisfying these plot details were laid out, I think it's also clear that the movie really made us think about a lot of things. Right? Yeah, that it is extremely thought provoking, right? yeah. and it's, it's an amazing work of art. It's an amazing sure. work of art. It's it's thought provoking. It's like has tons of ideas. It has like uh, it is it is an amazing use of cinema as a uh, uh, an art form. You know, so like um, I, I have a lot of affection for this movie, but I also think that um, if there are flaws, we should call them out because uh, I don't think it is good to just like. That's fine. But, yeah. but no, see what you're doing, Dave. You're assuming I'm not calling out flaws, and I don't. That's not what I'm. No, I, doing. yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I think I think the movie yeah. worked for you, and that the the movie shortcomings, in our opinion, were actually like not a bug, but a feature for you. Right, like that. Like, can, yeah, yeah. I that, think in a lot of abstract art, and certainly when you're telling stories like this, it does kind of work to kind of go a little broader. But yeah, that's that. I understand. That, like that's something I like about consuming these sorts of things. And it's not for everyone. It's totally yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. I think we've like touched upon virtually all of the main things I wanted to touch upon. So. Uh, the scissors, the hands across America, the rabbit. Yeah, eh, we got most of it. I mean, this is a movie that will be uh, dissected and uh, thought about for years to come. And um, so I think we're only at the beginning of how our society is going to handle us. And so um, I don't think this is a comprehensive conversation, but uh, I do think uh, we've covered a lot of ground and, and we've all expressed our opinion and it is a movie I would recommend people watch without reservation. So, okay, that's going to bring us it's to the tough. end of this week's episode of uh, the podcast. I will. I'm going to explain. Now you might notice. Hey, there's still 30 minutes left of this podcast. I'm going to explain what's going on there in a second. But you can find more episodes of this show at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And this episode was produced by uh, Baby Zhang. Uh, and stay tuned to hear what's going on next week. But in the meantime, Jeff Canada, where can I find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. 
I also do a video game podcast that's called DLC. You can find that wherever you get podcasts or by visiting 5by5.tv slash DLC. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. And I'm making YouTube videos at YouTube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen S-K-Y. Making several videos per month. Subscribe to my stuff there and also watch it at DaveChen.net. All right. So next week, one of two things is going to happen. And you, the listener, actually have the opportunity to influence what those two things are. Like next week, we had a choice. We're like, hey, Dumbo comes out. None of us are particularly interested in watching that movie. So Devendra made this awesome suggestion. Let's do a 20th... A 20-year retrospective on The Matrix, right? And look back at The Matrix and how it's imp- impact movies, da 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 You know, watch the movie again, all that stuff. And, because it's the 20-year anniversary of that film. And uh, But Jeff said, hey, you know what? Uh, we got to do the Summer Movie Wager because that that, that's coming up soon. And the thing is, it really depends on when we decide summer begins. Because if a Summer Movie Wager... It needs to be like if the summer, if summer begins at Avengers Endgame, which releases at the end of April, then yes, we really do need to record the summer movie wager next week, pretty much. Um, but if not, if it really if it were to begin, let's say on Memorial Day, uh, we'd have a little bit of time to get our act together, right? So uh, we actually had an extremely lengthy conversation, which we recorded and are now appending to the end of this episode, uh, in which we discuss uh, whether when the summer movie wager should begin. And uh, you, listener, have the opportunity to impact what we do next week by voting on our Twitter poll at twitter.com slash slash filmcast. That's twitter.com slash slash filmcast, in which we ask we are, you... Yep, go ahead. We are Jeff. currently at 728 votes uh, yes. between when it went up and uh, the end of this episode. So. And I, yeah, so <laughs> I think by the end we'll be in the many thousands. I think... Um, this uh, poll is going to last until Friday, and at that point, we're going to look at the facts and make a decision about what we're going to do next week on the podcast. Uh, and so, next week, if if uh, we decide to begin the summer movie, if if we decide to begin the wager on April twenty sixth when Avengers Endgame comes out, we got to do summer movie wager next week, no matter how hastily pulled together it is. Uh, and if we are allowed to begin Memorial Day, we can postpone the summer movie wager until a little bit later. Um, and you will hear us discuss the pros and cons of each approach uh, in a moment. So thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks from the good, bad, it's the Slash Filmcast. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Pick up, pick up, pick up. Hello. Peter Serretta, it's David Chen here. And I'm here with uh, Jeff Kanata and Devinder Hardwar on the Slash Filmcast, and I'm, hey, reco- I'm, I'm recording this conversation, uh, and I'm probably going to put it as part of like an after dark, after the show or something, because there is a topic of huge significance that must be decided, uh, and I, I, you're one of the people that I think could help us figure this out. And, and the, the question is, should Avengers Endgame be part of the summer movie wager this year? And the answer to that question will dictate when we record the summer movie wager, and also relatedly how quickly we need to pull all that stuff together. <laughs> so I, I have a few minds of this, Dave. Yeah. Number one, we did this for Infinity War, so 
why wouldn't we do this for Endgame is one side of things. Exactly. But number two, this movie is going to be the number one movie for the summer. Why are we wasting, you know, something that, like, like we're all going to say this is number one, I would think. Yeah, I, I, I had... So this is it, it, it the game less interesting. Peter, this is exactly the debate that we've been having for the last 20 minutes before we called you and before we started recording. Uh, it is exactly yeah. the debate we've had, is that is it more interesting to remove what will invariably be one of the top 10 movies, likely near the top, just remove it completely from discussion, from your li- everybody's lists. Is that more interesting in kind of throwing a wild card into the mix? But it also feels a little disingenuous to say the movie that will invariably be near the top yes. at the end of the summer. It just feels dishonest to like not have that movie included in the summer movie wager. What is more interesting? What's better? Is April too early for summer? Yeah, let me let me make the argument here, Jeff. Okay, which is that uh, I I obviously am super thrilled at my continued shellacking of all you guys on the summer movie wager. I don't think um, that's accurate. So I, I have no um, you know no regrets about my performance on last year's wager. But here's a regret I do have: is us agreeing that Avengers: Infinity War should be part of that wager because. We got so many comments of like, why did you include this as basically wasting a slot? And I agree. We all chose it as number one. Avengers Endgame is going to be the number one movie of the summer this year. If we all choose it, it's basically a wasted slot. And imagine how much more interesting there would be with, you know, multiple different movies occupying that number one slot. How much more drama there would be. I'm not Um, sure. It's not that interesting because they would just be the number two battle. Like, you're just shifting the slot. But we we all chose. But number one also gets a lot more points. Yeah. It's, so, it's true. It's true. But we all, none I of us. I have this question for you guys. Is there anybody here that would realistically not put that movie as number one? <laughs> but that's, I don't know if that's even the issue. Hold, hold like, on, hold on. I, I wasn't done with my argument yet, which is basically <laughs> that, like, we, you, you said we're basically shifting number two to number one. And I agree with that. Yes. And I think that's a good thing because uh, last year, not all of us chose the same thing for number two. So there would be, like, if, different what, people. What if. What if we lock in Avengers and just say that is number one, and your list is through two through eleven? Go. That's interesting. Oh, so you're saying so it would be some way of acknowledging, but yeah. then like the, the problem is the points, like number one and number ten get more. No, points. then your points no, are be... based on two through eleven. Oh, so yeah, you're, say, you're basically saying we acknowledge, those... we why just don't acknowledge we get it. Numbers uh, zero. It's number zero. <laughs> it's number zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel good about that. I feel good about that. That's a that's an interesting idea. I like this idea, but we have to confirm. I mean, I haven't even looked over the movies. I assume I would put it number one, but I haven't even really. Like, is there any movie that could possibly? No, just don't be. No, no. <laughs> okay, we live no. in Disney's universe. Okay, we serve at the pleasure of Disney and Mickey Mouse. Is and there some the world Star War I'm not aware of? You, you remember? You remember? Uh, you remember like Shawshank Redemption and like there's that scene when. Uh, Andy Dufresne like has found evidence that can get him out of jail, but like his boss is like, ah, oh, we don't need to look into it. Uh, and he's like, how can you be so obtuse, sir? That's how <laughs> I feel about you saying like there might be a movie that beats Avengers Endgame. And of course, you know, at the end of summer, if I'm wrong, people yeah. Play when back Toy Story is uh, the top movie and all of us have it as our number zero, we're gonna look like real idiots. <laughs> <laughs> there is a possibility that Toy Story could do it. 
Uh-huh. And also uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. But no. I don't think that's going to make Avengers numbers. Get that out of here. There's no way <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man's going to beat Avengers Endgame. But Toy would, Story, you know. Toy Story maybe. Toy Story maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but see, also, now, now there's drama. Uh-huh. But but per per what you're, <laughs> but none of us are going to put Toy Story as number one unless you are literally out of your mind. You know, like <laughs> well, you just acknowledge that it's a possibility. <laughs> so it's not out of your that mind. that sounds like an argument for number two or something. Oh, okay, like, but, yeah, but, but, but guys, but guys, but guys, let's let's also just remember the fact that April thirtieth is not in any or whenever the hell this movie comes out, April twenty sixth, whatever. That there is no world year. in which that date is summer, right? Like, there's summer no world. is when Disney says summer is. That's yeah. what the Avengers point was. Yeah. Disney owns the seasons now. I, I just don't feel good at all about Like, I just feel like it's a wasted slot. We're all going to put um, Avengers. I, just, I mean, I just gave you the alternative. Lock it Peter, in. I think that's a pretty strong alternative. But, Peter, are you are you firmly in the camp of... Don't include Avengers Endgame in the in the scoring. I mean, I'm not firmly in any camp. I, <laughs> I just I do think it would make things more interesting if it wasn't in there. Right, but we still have to talk about it because it will literally be the biggest movie of the year. Still, that's the thing that's so crazy is that well, it'll be like ignoring something that's going to be that. That, that is a total nonsense well, argument. That is total nonsense. We didn't happening. feel bad about not talking about Black Panther during last year's, uh, uh, you know, again, February, summer movie wager. Yeah, it came out in February, and this is Avengers not Endgame is going to make is going to make yeah. the most money of the summer months. It's going to run point. through the summer. Yeah. Yeah, will it? Th- will it though? I mean, I think if you look at that the summer, will be in theaters till October. If you Dave, define summer as beginning wait, wait, wait on what June twenty second, let me propose something. This is a ridiculous idea. <laughs> what if we count the box office just from May first? That is a ridiculous idea. That's crazy talk because. <laughs> How do I even know what percentage it opens with? Uh, that is that breaks my brain. It's also just arbitrary. Yeah. Like guys, summer begins. You guys are you guys are so it's this whole thing. This whole game has twisted your mind so much. Summer begins June twenty first. That's it. That is a full like seven weeks after Avengers Endgame begins. Right. So you're you saying that down a dark path last year. Yeah, it's and a slippery you have slope. To keep going on it. Slippery slope. <laughs> you're slip and slide. Summer is a slip and slide. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Also, let, let me just say, with global warming, spring really doesn't exist anymore. It's just <laughs> we're straight to summer. So, true. you know. It's true. Uh, I, <laughs> so there has been a notion of, of uh, putting this to the audience in some sort of poll. Yeah. And letting the audience weigh in and, yeah. and try to decide. I mean, I, I personally think the audience should weigh in. Like, if the audience says, hey, include Avengers Endgame in summer – then the audience, you know, the people have spoken, and I would live with that. I, um, well, well, so what are the choices going to be, right? Because I think my the thing I proposed of just saying, hey, this is going to be number one, but our lists are actually going to be two through eleven because that's more interesting. I think that's and that's good. what our points are based off of. That's that I think that would be one choice. But, but I feel but like that we need we need unanimous consent that everybody would be putting Avengers Endgame number one, and I feel like that's peer pressure. Like there's going to be some crazy Peter Serretta. No, no, so one, one is just there. You don't. You're not even thinking about it. It's not written down your list. Your list is two through eleven. <laughs> I just think it's just it's, what, just, it's what, complete nonsense. What you're saying, like it's basically that there. So I think what you're saying, your your methodology solves for two things, right, Devendra? It solves for number one, we can acknowledge 
that Avengers Endgame is the biggest movie this summer. Yes. And number two, it gives us each theoretically ten other choices on top of that. Right. And the full right. point spread, so you're not wasting point points basically. Yeah, I mean it's not a terrible idea, but I, I think that only happens if we all 100% agree that Avengers Endgame is number one movie. And also, like, when is when is summer, right? Then, Like, I think last year we started it with Avengers Endgame weekend, which was uh, pretty much the same date. It was, like, April 26th of last year, I think. I think traditionally it's Memorial Day, right? Yeah. Uh, um, but Memorial Day to Labor Day is the idea. Infinity War came out on um, April 26th last year, I think. So... Right. You know, we'd be doing the same thing as we did last year. So, April 27th, yeah. 2018 is when and Avengers Infinity War came out. As Devendra pointed out, the, the spirit is the summer blockbuster season, which is clearly being kicked off by yeah. Avengers Endgame. We're not tracking seasons here, actually. We're not, yeah, we're not tracking the freaking, what, 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 you know, Farmer's Almanac. <laughs> what date is Memorial Day? Um, Memorial Day, uh, May 27th. Yeah, that's way too late. That's way too late. Yeah. So, so, so here's what's coming out before Memorial Day this year. Okay. Everything. So we got Long Shot that, uh, is that the Seth Rogen movie? We got, uh, Detective Pikachu. Uh, Mm -hmm. here's one. That's probably gonna do pretty well, but not number one well. We got, uh, Aladdin, the live action remake. Here's the one that really pains me. John Wick, chapter three. That's coming yeah. out May seventeenth. Those all, all those have to be in the mix. <laughs> all those have to be. I have somebody has to put Aladdin on their list. Come on, it has to. Happen. No, that's, it's going to be on the list. And then the weekend of uh, God's, of Memorial Day, I think that's Godzilla. Is that Godzilla? Or um, I think that might be. Um, uh, that's Aladdin, and the week after that is Godzilla. So. Yeah. So let we me, would be starting with Aladdin. Else. Hey, so Jeff, we'd be starting with Aladdin weekend, but we'd miss. John Wick Chapter 3 if we did Memorial Day. This is crazy. This is insane. What are you guys talking about? Let me propose something else, by the way, just for the actual rules of the season. So similar to Daylight Savings Time, because that exists to to give farmers more daylight. What we need is more time to judge movies in this wager. So we need a summer savings time as dictated (laughs) by when Disney's big release comes out. April-ish. That's my law. (laughs) This is why Devinger's the idea, man. I like this. (laughs) So it goes. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so yeah, I, I think I just, for me, for me, it's actually a question not of should we include Avengers Endgame because the answer is clearly no. For me, it's clearly, a question of clearly. am I willing to exclude John Wick Chapter Three from the summer movie wager? Which, I have to say, when, when did this moral quandary erupt, Dave? Because it was not here last year. <laughs> well, I thought, hey, let's let's give it a shot. Let's let's try it. Let's dip our toe into the summer starts in April pool. And it turned out disastrously, in my opinion. It turned out we were right. Well, because... you you won, so yes, disastrously. <laughs> uh, I okay, so I am not willing to concede that if we don't include Avengers Endgame, then we start on Memorial Day. I threw I threw that out, but I don't. I'm not willing to to go that far. <laughs> but then, but then, also, but then it's like completely like arbitrary. It's, it's, it's completely arbitrary. Then when we start, right? Well, it's it's always arbitrary when we say. I feel like it needs to be the summer blockbuster season, and that kicks off with Avengers Endgame. I totally get the notion that that movie should be excluded in some weird 
it's some weird special ruling that says, uh, you know, we all think it's going to be first. And so it's not interesting. I'm down for I'm down for the Devendra plan. Uh, but I I'm not I don't think it's a given. You you said it like it's a given that Avengers Endgame should not be included. And I don't I haven't heard Peter weigh in. I think I know how Devendra feels. I'm not <laughs> on that train. So I don't know. Peter, I think we're going to need you to vote on this one. Like should be, because basically if uh, Avengers Endgame is part of the summer movie wager, then we're going to need to record it like basically next week. I mean, I think, I think I'm down for like the Vendra's plan of it being like, you know, 0.5 or whatever. And I'm saying that because I don't think one should count for that 10 points. Uh, that makes sense. Are you yeah. guys, are you guys of the opinion that this last year was less interesting because we all had infinity wars? Number 100%, one, 100%, 100% in the, of that opinion. Yes. Blame Disney. You know. <laughs> but but guys, it, I mean, it's by your big, construct, we yeah. should actually start the summer movie wager April 10th, which is when Shazam comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's the blockbuster <laughs> we're all waiting for. We should have do it. We should have done it last week when Us came out because it made seventy freaking million dollars. <laughs> Shazam! Uh, Shazam will... is going to make a boatload mm. of money, just like uh, I predict, right? So I'm just saying, yeah, it's really arbitrary, and we might as well exclude the one that everyone's going to vote as number one. Guys, I... I think I think the solution is staring us into the face. In the face. <laughs> what is that, Jeff? Constant movie wager. <laughs> I mean, people would like that. People would like a year-round seasonal non-stop. movie wager. Yeah, I, I am okay. I am okay with starting at Memorial Day and having it be Aladdin, be the first kind of this movie. This is insane. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? The, 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 the only ones we'd be excluding from that are John Wick Chapter the 3, Detective Pikachu, Avengers Endgame. Um, here's what we those would be including. Those are probably going to be in the top 10 for the entire like, those summer. Are, Pikachu, those are Pikachu big movies. Be, yeah. That could be two or three easily. <laughs> but we'd still get Godzilla King of Monsters. We'd still get Dark Phoenix. We'd still get Men in Black. We'd still get <laughs> Toy Story 4. Tank, but we'd still no, get that know. yesterday, that Danny Boyle movie, Spider-Man Far From Home, The Lion King. Y- you know, like uh, but, but they, Dora they, and the Explorer, able, Fast Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. You know, yeah. like still a bunch of movies. Okay, go ahead. The whole reason we're doing this is to talk about movies and not to like uh, make yeah. certain dates holy. So, also, you know, we want to talk I, about the movies. I think I could probably blow your mind. We could all just concede that Toy Story will be number two. <laughs> and then where are we? That, that, I, that's I, exactly debatable. why I hate doing this, Jeff. That's I don't want this to happen. I don't <laughs> want it to go down like this. Anyway. I think we should I think we should ask the audience, because it's for their benefit, you know. Anyway. But what, so what, what, would what they, is the poll? What are uh, the options? I think the options are we start the movie wager in April as normal, uh, you know, as we've done <laughs> as every normal. Year. You mean as we did one year? Yes. Okay. No, yeah. I mean we we do the we do it as we've done every year, which is uh, you know no special rules, no weirdness, but we happen to start it in April to include Avengers: Infinity War. The second option is we do not include Avengers: Infinity War in scoring at all. It's not even acknowledged that it came out. <laughs> In the calendar year 2019, we don't, we never speak of it. We don't even review it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
it, we just uh, we pretend that them you know they're just not that's like Black Panther. It just came out outside the window of the summer movie like wager. Third option, I think, is the Hardwar stratagem. Oh, yeah. uh, w- where how, how, the, I'm uh, just like, how am I going to get this like in a Twitter poll? Like, I don't even know how I'm going to get the the Hardwar stratagem <laughs> into a Twitter poll. It has uh, to be a Google poll. Yeah, it's it, that, that one is uh, you know, we, Avengers: Infinity War is is zero on everybody's list. We assume it's going to top the pops. And by the way, uh, e- even in that situation, it doesn't. Everybody's list doesn't have to be zero. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, if someone were to take a chance, mm. they could put. Story yeah, there, I, I don't think there's sure. any world in which the hardware stratagem is like we should we should in my opinion we should pick a side we should either say we're starting it on uh, Avengers Endgame weekend or we're starting it Memorial Day weekend and th- those are the two options and that's it which like, solves nothing but okay why would that solve I, nothing what, what what do you mean that solves nothing the, the, the whole reason we've been talking about this for an hour is because <laughs> you you're saying it's of course it's going to be number one and the points don't matter and it's not interesting so. Make the points matter. Make it yeah. interesting by making the list beyond. You know what makes it interesting? You know what makes it interesting is including John Wick, including Detective Pikachu. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm not willing to have the casualties of the Infinity War <laughs> be Pikachu and John Wick and other like. What did Pikachu do to you? Nothing. You're saying you're saying we shouldn't include Avengers: Infinity War and also three other movies. Like that's not even that's just that's just friendly fire at this point. That's just like collateral damage. Damage, yes. Uh, it's like it's like one of the many those those characters those movies are like <laughs> one of the many henchmen that John Wick's gonna murder in John Wick Three Parabellum. Um, or it's like uh, they just poofed out of existence and now they're dust in the summer. Yeah, because yeah. actually movie Thanos. Okay, yeah. well that being said, that being said, that being said, uh, that's what I think the poll should be. I think the poll should be um, those two. Like we can start it the thing and the other thing. And if not, we're going to do the Matrix, um, you know, twentieth anniversary special. I, I mean, how do you feel? Like, I think that's a pretty solid, easily explainable poll. When should the summer movie wager start this year? Um, if we start it, in, and I can even, I'll even say in the tweet, I'll even say in the tweet, if it starts on May on uh, Memorial Day, uh, you know, John Wick three, Avengers Endgame, and uh, would be excluded from from the poll, and like I see what people say. I think that people here. Of the hard to watch stratagem, they're going to favor that one. To be quite honest with you, but by the way, we're also losing ugly dolls too. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, it's a tragedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm just saying that has the possibility of being top ten. Maybe not. But... No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I don't think so, Peter. Um, so okay, so you're saying the hard to watch? Oh, Rocket Man. That's another movie. You know, like that's another movie that could do really well. Uh, that comes out after the thing, though. So you, here's the problem with the hardware strategy. Here's the problem with the hardware strategy is that like it doesn't allow for people to actually choose a different movie for number one, right? I, right. Think, I think somebody mentioned like if you want to if you want to be insane and just do it. <laughs> no, I know, but then but then how would we score that? Like it would just be, it would, we'd have to make up a whole set of negative score. points. No, negative no, points. no, 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 no. Yes. No, I, let's yes. not. No, let's either. Let's equalize this. No, no. Let's either. Well, I, actually, Dave, what, it wouldn't. What t- I have another wouldn't... idea. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is a good idea. But instead of the hardware uh, strategy or whatever you're calling it, <laughs> what if, you know, we're starting it May 1st, right? Yeah. And we have a side bet of <laughs> will, will Endgame 
make more than the top movie. And that side bet gets 10 points. And you, you could put either way. You could put, you know, yes or no. <laughs> May f- why, why May 1st, though? You, you know? Why May 1st, I guess? Like, if, if we're going to go er- to early May, you might as well just go to Avengers Endgame, in my opinion. <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it, in my opinion, it's either Memorial Day, and it's like, hey, that's like a completely logical place to start the summer movie wager, or Avengers Endgame, which is also a somewhat logical place. But, like, May but, 1st... But here's the thing, Dave. You're, you're removing a month or three weeks of movies that... Make the game more interesting, more interesting in favor of losing one movie that makes it lesson. Do you know what I mean? I agree. Well said, Peter. Very well said. <laughs> yes, P- Pikachu and John Wick and those movies make the ma- wager more interesting, and and maybe maybe Avengers Endgame makes it less interesting, but it's not. That's not. Those aren't equal. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. <laughs> So are are we going to say put it to a vote, or are we just going to agree that it's going to start? By the way, if, if Dave loses this year, he's going to blame it all on that. One hundred percent, hundred percent. I would like. I think the audience should have a chance to weigh in on this. I really do. Okay, because they're going to hear this and they're going to have opinions. Yeah. All right. And are we okay with opinions? Are we're all idiots? <laughs> <laughs> we have spent way too much time thinking about this. Are we okay with the two choices that I've laid out? Say it again. What are the two choices? The two choices are uh, we start with Avengers Endgame or we start on Memorial Day, which is Aladdin weekend. Those are the two choices. I wish there was a third choice, Dave. Okay, but here, here's the thing. If you start on May 1st, does that mean that we would include Avengers Endgame's grosses starting May 1st? This, by the way, is a Tr- peek into the mind of how not. David Chen was, fi- was picking a TV. This is just like a simple problem prolonged for an hour. Um, but okay. except okay. in that in that in that analogy, we're all also Dave Chen. Yes, yes. So we're all into it. So Davindra. Uh, so uh, Peter, you, traditionally you have not. But the, here's the problem with that is but, but is, is, is on May first weekend, the, the the weekend that begins May third, Friday. Uh, it's extremely likely Avengers Endgame is going to be the number one movie of the week that week, and also the following week. And then we look pretty dumb for not including it at all. Well, they, they, what if we started May 3rd weekend and we included the money that if, uh, Endgame makes from May 3rd on That's just not anything that, prior? That's so... so listen to that. That's that, ridiculous. That, that would, but that would make things interesting because you could... like oh, that man. might. Yeah, You're no. just like carving out a hundred million dollars from it, basically. Yeah, like, Lord, but why Lord would you do that? Save me, save me right what? now, please. Why would you By do the way, that? it's going to make a hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's let's just please go with my two options, okay? I, I, I have. I just want to say I have officially come down on the side of the hard to wire stratagem. <laughs> Which is which is being omitted from this poll? It is being omitted from the poll. Yeah. Okay. 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 Fine. 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 Yeah. Fine. Okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. Let's let me let me make the the tweet right now while while we're doing this. Okay. So I'll say okay. I think people uh, need to hear this before they vote. Uh, I, I will make the poll length. Uh, let's say five days. Okay. Sounds good. Um. So people have five days to 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 do this. 
Um, in your in your in your tweet, I would suggest saying that we discussed it in the episode. So listen to that. Yeah. Because um... <laughs> nobody's gonna understand what the hell. The, um, I, I think they'll understand, Jeff. It's not that hard to understand. <laughs> So Sorry. that being said, I, I will I will uh, make a reply to this tweet and like put the episode in it. Um, but here is I'll say when should this year's summer movie wager begin? FYI, we discussed this question further uh, in this week's episode. Perfect. We discussed this question further in this week's episode, which I will link to later. Okay, choice one. What when does April when does Avengers Endgame release? Is it on a Wednesday or something weird like that? Avengers Endgame, 26th, April 26th. Uh, so what day is that? That is a – come on, guys. you got to help me out here. I mean, <laughs> I I'm looking. I can't do everything myself. Uh, April 26th is a Friday. Okay. Okay. So uh, Friday, uh, April 26th, not Friday, April 26th, Avengers Endgame, in quotes, in the parentheses, okay? And by the way, didn't they end up moving Infinity War up sooner last year? Can't remember. There that sounds that happening this year. You're the news guy, Peter. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it sounds it sounds familiar though. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm gonna write here. Here's the tweet. I've revised the tweet to say super important question. When should this year's summer movie wager begin? FYI, we discussed this question further in this week's episode, which I will link to later. Choice one, April twenty sixth, Avengers Endgame Weekend. Uh, or I just put Endgame Weekend in parentheses. Choice two, Memorial Day. What's that? Memorial Day is twenty seventh. May twenty seventh. Memorial Day. Yes. I bet uh, you all the responses will be, this is insane. What are you guys doing? <laughs> Just do what you did last year. Okay, and then what, what should I write for three? I only have like 30 characters or some, something like that. Like, That's what I'm saying. It should, it should be a Google poll where you get like episode. Yeah, more stuff. <laughs> see they episode for Dominion Strategy. May 3rd. Why not say like May 3rd and then in parentheses say. No, I'm definitely not doing that. I'll say April 26th, but everyone gets 11 choices. But we get 11, <laughs> 11 20, choices. Why would we be doing it on April 26th? If we're not... Why? why? <laughs> this is why I don't want to put the okay. Divinger Stratagem in here, guys. Just put just put third, the third choice as other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. By the way, just like Brexit, this whole poll is non-binding, so we don't have to follow it. It's true. It is true. Okay, it I'll put that too. This poll is non-binding. <laughs> All right. The I, thing that... The, 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 I predict you're going to be very unhappy with this poll because the way this poll sounds, everyone's going to vote for Avengers Infinity yeah. War because they don't have context for what we're talking about. Um, Jeff, if that happens, I accept the ruling of the people. I accept the ruling of the people. And then everyone gets what they yeah, want. I, 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 agree with, I agree with Jeff here. Like They don't have the context of why we're excluding it. Yes. Yes. Okay, fine. I'll put here – I'll put in the tweet, <laughs> note, this is the summer movie wager. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, supposed to be it. the summer they'll movie. Get all the, they'll get all the context from that. Yep. <laughs> okay. Should I really put non-binded? Should I really put can, other can as a third your, choice? Can you read your poll? Okay. Super important question. When should this year's summer movie wager begin? FYI, we discussed this question further in this week's episode, which I will link to later. Note, this is supposed to be the summer movie wager. Uh, and then in parentheses, this poll is non-binded. <laughs> Okay. You don't have to put that. We can just decide that it's non-binding. You don't have to tell them. Uh, I'm definitely going to tell them. Okay. Uh, choice one, April 26th, Endgame Weekend. Ch- uh, choice two, May 27th, Memorial Day Weekend. Choice three, Other. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Yes, I want other to win so hard. <laughs> people will vote. Uh, people will vote yeah, other as so a group. You're not other and write in your solution. Uh, other write in solution. <laughs> other, please explain. How about that? Please explain. <laughs> Show your work. <laughs> Wait, you're not you're not doing the eleven on April twenty sixth. No, the, guys, uh, I'd really like to review us at some point. <laughs> yeah, we got to go. All right, I'm gonna tweet this. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Peter, for your contribution. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> okay. Uh, and if you're, if you're listening to this right now, vote on the poll at twitter.com slash slash filmcast. If you enjoy this podcast, why not try Rethinking Business, a new podcast series brought to you by NatWest. Join me, Piers Linney, as I meet inspiring business leaders who are doing things differently, disrupting markets, overcoming challenges, and bouncing back when things don't go to plan. We'll hear how perceived barriers can be turned into advantages, and how the journey to success is not always as you'd expect. My guest this week is Freddie Garland, founder of the subscription florist Freddie's Flowers. I think having someone who is able to advise you is critical. So, you know, I had Keith Abel, who started Abel and Cole, and who I used to work for. So we were learning very quickly. He knew I could sort of do it, and it's essential to have a, a good sounding board for, for when you've got a question. You know, I, th- I think that's really important when starting out, is that there's someone who you can ask advice from. That's Rethinking Business, brought to you by NatWest. Subscribe now on your favourite podcast app.